Hello there, everyone. Welcome to the TSG Podcast. Just a huge disclaimer before we begin that all content produced on this channel is for education and entertainment purposes only. Enjoy the episode. All right, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of the Surrounding Game Podcast. And this is this has been a week. Sean, it's been a week. So mm-hmm. <laughs> you wanna you wanna update people on what's occurring across the globe right now. Uh across the globe. Let's see. Um I think uh we could talk about the China's uh party congress. Okay. Um they selected, I should have looked this up before, but they selected a I think the top economic guy. <laughs> Uh, okay. going forward for the next term okay um there was a kerfuffle with hu jintao i guess being escorted out of the meeting of mm-hmm. the chinese party congress mm-hmm. um those are the things that come to mind right off the bat okay so which one do you want to go over first um we can go over the kerfuffle so okay yeah hu jintao for those who haven't seen the video, uh, you know, the video is kind of the the thing that everybody's looking at. Basically, in the party congress, uh, all the big wigs are sitting there arranged in a row. And then uh, someone comes to escort Hu Jintao out. And he seems like he doesn't want to go. Uh, some people interpret it as he doesn't seem like he knows what's going on. Or other people say he does seem to know what's going on, but he uh, doesn't want to go. Um, and I guess the guy escorting him out is uh, Xi Jinping's top bodyguard. So this guy's basically getting him up, in some cases kind of pulling him up to stand up, get him out of his chair, and get him out of the meeting hall. Hmm. And uh, a lot of people in the West have looked at this and thought, wow, that's really odd. That seems like seems like they're trying to uh, railroad him or, you know, so he was the president. He was the top guy in China before Xi Jinping. So he um, was the former president. Yeah. Right. So Xi Jinping, I mean, Xi Jinping, I'm assuming, served for eight years now, if it's a four-year term, or is it, mm-hmm. right? Um, Xi Jinping, I think, has served for 10 years. So it's a five-year term. Yeah, two five-year okay. terms. Two five-year terms. And so 10 years prior, Hu Jintao was the president before Xi Jinping yeah okay just for the viewers uh and the listeners to know because uh maybe they're not familiar with the hu jintao's uh name so Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. okay Mm -hmm. so in essence what's going on right now at least uh according to several videos online and the overall congress party that happened a week ago uh what happened was as you said sean uh hu jintao the former president of china was escorted out uh, unexpectedly. So this was not a scripted event whatsoever. So this was an actual thing that they took a pause in the actual scripting of events. Like, you know, they're do, they're up coming to the closing ceremony part. And uh, Xi Jinping just went through, I think, 100, 110 minutes or so of speech. And they saw that Hu Jintao was actually falling asleep or was asleep during Xi Jinping's uh, address. And so what happened was that towards the end, right before the closing ceremony was to begin, 
Xi Jinping's bodyguard and another uh, staff member came over to Hu Jintao to try to pretty much take him as the uh, South Morning Post has stated, South China Morning Post has stated, to a room for him to rest uh, due to health illness or health-related illness. Uh, that's at least the story that they're saying right now. And when you're actually looking at the video, um, Sean shared this with me uh, earlier. And when you're really looking at the video, it does seem like uh, Hu Jintao, although he looks very healthy at, uh, from a 79-year-old you know, perspective, um, he did look like he, wa he wasn't sure what was going on. He did really look confused. And so uh, is it due to delirium? Is it due to, uh, you know, just the spontaneity of what happened? And he was like, okay, hey, what's going on? Why am I getting out of my chair? Uh, we don't know. All we do know is that as he was being escorted out, Hu Jintao um, pretty much tapped onto the shoulders of Xi Jinping and um, the person to the right of him. And I, and I can't pronounce his name, um, but I believe he's the prime minister. Or something like that, Sean? I do not remember who that guy was. Okay. So, uh, he, I, again, I'm, I'm looking at faces, and I don't really recall the faces too well. Uh, mm. We'll just have to look at the videos again, just see who, who it was that uh, Hu Jintao was um, tapping. Um, but he did make two gestures to uh, the, the people to the right of him. And Xi Jinping uh, was directly to the right of Hu Jintao. So, yes. And... Um, yeah, so it was a really weird event, so to speak. And it did seem like um, they were either A, trying to get rid of Hu Jintao from the overall closing ceremony for whatever reason, uh, or they were really trying to take care of Hu Jintao. And at least in terms of the Asian culture, I can't say for full all Asian cultures, but at least in terms of the Confucius background, um, and this is a really leapfrog type of idea right here. Um, if the if what they said in the news was true, and they said that you know Hu Jintao was really sick and um, he needed to sit down, he was becoming a little delirious or whatnot. In the Asian culture, or at least in the Confucius uh, teachings, uh, it what it is expected to take care of your elders and to really care for them and 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 protect them. Uh, especially uh, as they get older and they can't really help themselves, so to speak, that the younger generation is there to help that. I'm not sure if this is the case, to be honest. Um, again, Hu Jintao looked really healthy uh, for a 79-year-old. Um, but those are at least my initial thoughts. I haven't read too much onto Hu Jintao's background and history uh, when he was ruling uh, China. But uh, Sean, what do you think? Um, opinions on Hu Jintao? Do you know much of his political background or, you know, just overall history? Um, I don't know. Let's see. So I know that he, um, I believe he served for 10 years. Okay, so a full uh, term, right? Yeah. Yeah, I guess two full terms. That was kind of the, uh, a one full term or two full terms. It was kind of traditional to do 10 years basically mm -hmm. so uh i don't know how long Deng xiaoping served sometime around the 80s but then uh in the 90s there was jiang zemin mm -hmm. and then in the 2000s in the aughts there was uh hu jintao 
and the my general sketch of the Chinese leadership strategy is that after Deng Xiaoping sort of uh, defeated Mao or mm. you know took over after Mao and basically ushered in the era of uh, pretty intensive use of capitalism in China, that I see a through line going through the next two guys that basically the Deng Xiaoping strategy carried through the 90s and early 2000s and then um and that strategy was essentially to build power to build economic power so that china would be able to assert itself but the idea was during that time they can't assert themselves they need to be quiet and just build 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 and then later they would transition to a new phase and so i think of Xi Jinping as starting the transition of saying it's time for us to assert ourselves and they started um, like as far as their diplomacy and their public relations they started this thing called wolf warrior diplomacy wolf warrior is like an action hero in China and basically they switched from being quiet like a church mouse on the world stage to being more um, brash and outspoken and defensive um, and loud, you know, and basically beginning to assert themselves. And it, it it's because they accumulated a level of power where they're now getting to be on par with the United States in terms of economic power. And that means they can begin to do the things they want to do. And the United States isn't just going to instantly stop them right back in the 80s or 90s. If China wants to do something the United States doesn't want them to do, the U.S. would just stop them because the U.S. had so much more power. But now we've entered a new era where China has the power to begin doing the things they want to do. So that's kind of my rough sketch of the leadership succession of China. Okay, but you, do, you don't really know too much about Hu Jintao specifically or what he's accomplished or his beliefs, philosophical beliefs or anything? Um. I think, uh, I think he probably still carries some of that that original thought process of maybe wanting to be more capitalist than um, Xi Jinping. Mm -hmm. um, but it's, I don't know any more details than that. Do you know more about Hu Jintao and his? All I really, attitude? all I really know, and this is just based on my short, short, short research. So a huge disclaimer, everyone. So again, I, I just huge and Tao, the topic of huge and Tao and who he is, uh, literally just dropped onto my laps about maybe three hours ago, <laughs> and so uh, I'm not joking. <laughs> so <laughs> I don't know too much, but what I was able to, you know, scavenge through in terms of internet information and details and everything. What I know about Hu Jintao is that he's a very rules kind of guy, okay? He's very, very strict with rules, and he believes that all leaders should be held accountable to maintaining and respecting the rules. So, and this leads into the whole idea of what's currently happening right now, which is Xi Jinping is trying to run for a third term. And I believe he, he's going to run for a third term. Again, Sean, correct me if I'm wrong. But I mm -hmm. believe he is going to run for a third term now, right? 
Yes. Okay. So this right now breaks a huge, huge rule that Hu Jintao will actually oppose, even though he was chosen by the Communist Party of China and he was a well-respected leader. But because of his um, immovability towards the rules, I don't know if immovability would be the right term, but because of his, you know, philosophy of you have to maintain order and you have to follow the rules and try to build a harmonious type of communist party. A lot of the modern media, I think pretty much says that he was, that was his biggest weakness, which is to follow the rules so heavily. And because Xi Jinping is running for a third term, which has not happened since the Mao era, this is a big deal because this essentially is breaking the longstanding tradition since the Mao time. I mean, just imagine if, you know, if uh, President Biden, Trump or Obama decided to run for a third term and totally destroyed our tradition of serving two terms only, right? I think mm-hmm. the only other president that did serve three terms was Roosevelt, Franklin, Franklin Roosevelt or something like that. Yep. During right? World War II and, During and World War the II? Depression, basically. Okay. So it, it's a huge, huge thing. And, you know, if, if, and again, this is very brief research that I've done on this, so I'm not too, too confident in, in sense of my thought process right now, but it makes sense for the most part. If you know that your superior or your uh, predecessor was very strong in the rules and you know that the outcome is going to be in the favor of breaking the rules and running for a third term, in order to save public image and in order to save face, it would be a good idea to remove said person from the room to avoid any uproar or any type of bad image in terms of public relation. And so that could very well be why he was dismissed from the final uh, closing ceremony. Mm -hmm. This is, again, based on three hours of research, maybe even less than that. So I don't know, Sean, what do you think? Um, I think your analysis makes a ton of sense. Um, He... You know, if 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 he, because I was also reading that um, Hu Jintao won praise at the end of his tenure by retiring voluntarily from all positions, and so he has this attitude of following all the rules, and he himself followed all the rules. And um, I was also reading recently about the concept of harmony in Chinese culture and that it's uh, frankly one of the most important concepts in their whole philosophy is just that um, you should strive for harmony and it's not it's more complicated than just following in line all the time and being obedient all the time but you as far as a leader is concerned Hu Jintao is probably saying uh you know, I followed the rules and I resigned from all my positions when I was done because that's what's going to promote harmony. And, you know, leading up to this Congress, I saw a lot of chatter in the news and among the Western media that 
this is a this is a tough this is a tricky moment for Chinese leadership because he's going to try and break the rules and get himself a third term and this is going to create instability and so I can see Hu Jintao being like why are you ruining me everything right now you know why are you creating instability what's the benefit of that we're doing really good here right now you know mm-hmm. why if you just you know don't you have a guy below you that's good why don't you bring him up you know mm-hmm. and that would make everything so much smoother you know why i can see him getting upset about that you know mm-hmm. and um and he you know if they're going to go against him and railroad him then there's a lot of reasons why they wouldn't want to do it to his face with him in the room you know mm-hmm. so that makes sense hmm. yeah and this this whole commotion not not meaning to switch away from hu Tao, but just more so the effects of the third um third term that that's a huge thing and a lot of investors especially you know those who already saw that you know, the relationship between the U.S. and China was extremely shaky. Now that there's a third term from Xi Jinping, people are extremely, extremely uncertain right now. It, it, it's an emotional roller coaster. Uh, and if you looked at the stock market today, right when the announcement that he is going to run for a third term happened, the, the, the stock cratered. I mean, I, I've never seen a crater that far, at least for the Chinese companies. It it, it shot down. It, it was bad. Uh, and that goes into lines with the sentiment of most investors is like, oh, my gosh, Xi Jinping is in for a third, third turn. And there's a lot of worry right now. Let's pull all of our money out because this is going to be bad. So, Sean, I don't know if you were keeping up to date about what's going on in the stock market right now, because I know you're more of a crypto kind of guy. But the idea that now Xi Jinping is running for a third term. What do you think? Like, I want to know your opinion. Like, what do you think? Why do you think people are so scared of this? And is this something to really be worried about? I mean, because if we think about it, you know, as he the last decade has been massively great for China. It isn't until like uh, when President Trump was coming into office and was doing that China trade war. I mean, but China was prospering. It, it was pretty good. And it wasn't like we had any worries about China during that time until, you know, the whole trade war thing happened. So was Xi Jinping a bad leader in terms of economic growth of for china and are people really being worried for no reason especially if he especially assuming that he was a good leader for the economy what do you think um i think the i think he is viewed as being more somewhat more of an economic leftist compared to a lot of the other people in the Chinese leadership. So some of his policies, uh, I've heard Westerners summarize it as a red new deal and, you know, a new deal, uh, like the new deal in the United States was basically about, um, about cracking down on business overreach and having more, 
government programs to take care of people. Things like Medicare and Social Security were created as part of the New Deal. And so um, Xi Jinping, one of his main uh, talking points is the phrase common prosperity. And he's basically, by focusing on common prosperity, what he's trying to say is there's too much inequality in China. There's extremely rich people and extremely poor people. And here we are, you know, calling ourselves communists and teaching our kids Marxism. And then we're letting billionaires, you know, make, you know, their second and third billion while we still have, you know, some poor people. So it's like he is turning China in a direction that business leaders see as bad for their business. and so I can, I think if he had not gone for a third term, I can see why business leaders would value the stock more highly, you know, and investors, because uh, he has done some squeezing of business and he will continue to squeeze. Now, he's not trying to crush them. Mm-hmm. He wants them to continue thriving and he wants China to continue with economic success. The question is like, what is uh, sort of at the margins or like, you know, capitalism kind of wants to be free and say like the sky's the limit, right? Mm -hmm. Here in America, you build a big company, it becomes worth billions and you just say, well, we could become worth 10 times more if we just keep, you know, keep dominating. We can, we can kick butt in the market and, and just keep growing gigantically, you know, in China, there's maybe this sense that like the sky's not the limit. At some point, the government can just step in and say, sorry, we're going to squeeze you. You're making too much money and we don't like it. You know? Okay. So if some business owners were kind of worried about that, which honestly, I'm not too sure if they are. Um... Well, there's concern uh, like um, um, think about, you know, what happened to Jack Ma, for example. Yeah. I think a lot of business people feel exactly like Jack Ma and they would love to get up and say all the things that he said, mm. you know, and they think that uh, cracking down on Jack Ma probably means that China will be less prosperous, mm-hmm. that uh, his company can make less money and do less good in the world. And same for themselves, essentially. Does that make sense? Yeah, but I'm not too sure um, because the, if I recall somebody, I, I can't remember who I talked to, um, but I, I remember someone bringing up the notion that right now uh, Xi Jinping wants to essentially before this Congress happened, wants to make sure everything is stable to show the Communist Party and show the rest of China be like, hey, you know, we're ha- entering a golden age. We have zero COVID. We have stability in the market. We have this. We have that. And so that's why he was really cracking down pre-election, right? And now that he's already confirmed for the election, and now it's post-election, I have a feeling that if that theory was true, that now that he's already president for the next five years, he's going to start laxing out again and bringing China back to where it was before uh, the the election, pre-election time. Uh, before earlier this year, like what he's been doing the last year, year and a half. And so we remember what happened three, four years ago. Um, 
China was prospering under the new trade deal, and he was working with you know President Trump at the time to really come to a consensus and build China's economy globally. And it wasn't until like a year, uh, two years before last week, that he became very you know tight, uh, nitpicky, very tight with his policy, no flexibility, just so that he can build that. I don't want to say glorious image, but I just want to say a better image so that he can get elected for a third term. Do you mm. think do you think that might, you know, that do, okay, so just going with the original thesis that he was doing that to show the people I can go for another term, look at what's happened. Do you think that thesis stands at all? That is certainly interesting. We should mention in this context also that he has had this policy of zero COVID. Yes. Locking down large parts of the country, mm-hmm. uh, which has temporary put, temporarily put economic growth on ice. Mm-hmm. Um, and people are waiting for the end of that. Yes. And I think investor, some business, investors and business leaders might have been assuming uh, if somebody else comes in, they're going to put an end to zero COVID, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, uh, but your th- theory is very interesting. The idea that he's doing this to get his third term mm-hmm. and over the next six months or so, that doesn't mean that his same trajectory is going to continue, right? Mm-hmm. Now He's got the third term. Mm-hmm. So now he's going to pivot toward instead of trying to get a third term trying to accomplish goals x y and z which would yes. be economic growth yes. and taiwan correct um and so it might seem logical that zero covid would maybe well so the thing about zero covid is he he the the theory of many westerners is he has attached his name to zero covid and keeping it zero covid and mm-hmm. that means he can't end zero COVID until they have a vaccine and everyone's got it mm-hmm. because otherwise it would not be zero. Right. Even if it's even um, now pragmatically what he could do and certainly what another person would do if they came in is say COVID has changed. COVID is now weaker mm-hmm. and uh, you know, zero COVID was a great idea while it was totally killing everyone. But now it's so much softer. We could maybe let it ride a little bit, you know, mm-hmm. and, um, you know, maybe they have some therapeutics now, whatever they've developed in the meantime, they can apply that. And so letting COVID happen would certainly not be so bad. Mm-hmm. Um, and so he could do that now, but, all you know, if he's got his name too attached to the concept of n- no one ever getting COVID in China. Mm-hmm. You know, I don't know. I could I could go either way, but you are swaying me a little bit. The idea that uh, his actions up until now have been focused on this tricky maneuver that he's been trying to pull off, and he's he's pulled it off now. Yeah, now he's pulled it off, and so now he can change. Yeah, and so again, this is just hypothetical, and it's really far out there. But we can't discredit that it might not. It, it might have been the exact reason for that, right? Uh, and so I'm just thinking of a different 
circumstances, probabilities, reasoning. And what I'm finding is that if he's going to lift the zero COVID policy within the next six, six to 12 months, which is extremely plausible, it kind of reminds me, uh, just a sidetrack really quick, it kind of reminds me of an article that I read a while back where during the worst plague that we've had, the Black Plague, or uh, I believe it was a Black Plague, it took about five years for the eradication of the Black Plague because we were able to develop the vaccines, we were quarantined, etc. So we've had a circumstance like this in the past, although the Black Plague was way worse than COVID right now. And so, but it did take about five years. And right now we're coming into our fourth year. I think 2019 was when it first started, right? So at least the COVID symptoms. And now we're coming into our fourth year of semi-quarantine, semi-mask you know, mask mandate, et cetera. And so we're, we're hitting to that point where things are at the cusp of normalizing again might take another six months might take another 12 months might take another even 18 months but we definitely know within the next two years at least based on past experiences and past data we could expect a full normalization and if that goes during the xi jinping's you know third third term i mean he can easily run for a fourth term after that and be like, hey, we were able to lift up everything. Everything was great. Economy is booming again. So, um, but it wouldn't it wouldn't surprise me if Xi Jinping is now going to lax out at least for the next several months or so. Um, one, he doesn't want the economy to stay stagnant. He doesn't want the economy to decline. Uh, he wants China to prosper. But in order for China to prosper, he has to lax out on certain regulations. Especially if you're going to take what he said in his speech to heart, where prosperity is one of the key points that we even talked about last week. So, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. yeah, well, remember his phrase is common prosperity, right? Yes. So common. it's one of these, you know awesome little political contrivances where it's got the prosperity mm -hmm. and it's got the word common. Mm -hmm. So it's like he, it gives him the flexibility to say, Oh, I want business to be more profitable because I'm promoting prosperity or I want business to, uh, I want to take some of their profits and redistribute it because I want the prosperity to be common right it gives him full flexibility to like promise something and then no matter what he does he's delivering it <laughs> but i guess he can't to your point he can't deliver it if he keeps uh locked down and zero covid for another you know two years or something right i don't think he's gonna do zero COVID for two years to be honest yeah one there, there's a lot of civil unrest now from what i'm reading um and I, I can't see it just being isolated for two more years. So I think he's going to slowly lax it out just to allow the economy to grow again. 
yes, some people are going to get sick, but now he has data from the Western culture too, because we've opened up our, you know, quarantine policy. We've been very lax with it. And so he's able to take that data, um, especially when the World Health, Health Organization is closely linked to China's funding. So he's, he's going to get access to that data. Again, I can't. Okay, so sorry. I cannot say that the World Health Organization is completely <laughs> funded by China. Um, <laughs> because uh, I, the last time I read into them was, you know, many, many years ago. So I don't know what they are today. But um, I'm pretty sure, like all countries, they have connections with the World Health Organization. And they're able to get data about COVID. Because they want to, you know, make sure that COVID doesn't spread globally again. So I'm pretty sure the World Health Organization is going to, you know, share that data, especially if it's a public uh, domain. So, yeah, I mean, the whole idea of, you know, Xi Jinping running for the third term has been essentially just scaring people like crazy, especially investors. And I, I kind of I'm still kind of unsure about what's happening. I mean. You know, we just talked about the whole zero COVID policy and the potential of reopening. And so as an investor, I, I kind of want to segue now to, to more of just investing in general, because that is our crux, our meat and potatoes, uh, so to speak, for this type of podcast. And so if you're to look at investments in China right now, and you guys who's been listening to our podcast for a while know that I am, I'm pretty bullish. Okay, I'm not going to lie, I'm pretty bullish on China in general, no matter who's taking the seat, who's taking the helm, especially if you're doing it in a value investing way. Some politics and some, uh, you know, regular regulatory rules does play a, a role. I'm, I'm not going to say it doesn't. But if you're really researching into a company and you find that they're very trustworthy and they're very uh, really well versed, especially in the ups and downs or the vicissitudes of life, as Charlie Bunker so eloquently puts it, and Warren Buffett too, but more mostly Charlie Bunker. Um, a company can go through a really great company can go through a lot of turmoil before it it, it really gets hit hard, and so <clears throat> investing in China, Sean. Really quick opinion. What are your thoughts about investing in China? With knowing that Xi Jinping is going for a third term and is in a third term and his current political rule set about investing or not investing, about companies in the tech sector, banking, etc. What are your thoughts? Hmm. 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 They are probably going to be investing heavily in their technology sector. Okay. Um, and that's that's with Xi Jinping going in for a third term, right? Yes. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Definitely. Uh, I think any either way. Mm-hmm. Um, I you know looking for Chinese investments, I would ponder what is up with um the Belt and Road Initiative and their relationships with other countries in Southeast Asia and um, where are they going to get their energy mm-hmm. and things along those lines. Mm-hmm. Um, but it does seem to be like there are uh, opportunities and I wouldn't say that Xi Jinping is going to just uh, 
choke them all out and that mm-hmm. there's no opportunities there. Mm-hmm. But I would also say don't go in willy-nilly. Yeah, do your because, homework, right? Yeah, do your homework. Because yeah. they're uh I think some sectors are definitely gonna do better than others, you know. Like maybe um thinking about the belt and road, some of it maybe kind of have played out already. Like mm. if you uh you know like maybe infrastructure and real estate is kind of uh something that you maybe china investors would have looked at before but maybe you would want to question it now because mm-hmm. they're kind of uh probably going to be sort of slowly ramping that stuff down rather than ramping it up mm-hmm. you know compared to other stuff you could be investing in hmm. um yeah those are my initial thoughts okay so you don't think that his you know hard crackdown on the tech sector and all of that is gonna be repeating in his third term in essence you like you you feel like you feel more optimistic about it right yes uh i mean i think uh they the chinese leadership wants it to thrive mm-hmm. they don't necessarily you know, I mean, if you're going to invest in China, there is uh, some investors would probably have to hold their nose a little bit because they're uh, they're technically Marxist and they're not necessarily going to be fully embracing everything about capitalism, you know. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, Jack Moss says what he says. They crack down on him. Mm-hmm. I can see something like that happening again, mm-hmm. but that's different from saying uh their tech companies are not going to thrive they they need those things to thrive they need them to uh you know they want to succeed in ai they want to mm-hmm. succeed in semiconductor manufacturing uh and so they're going to kind of bend over backwards to make those things happen hmm. um and they're you know they're trying to um shepherd their companies in sort of an odd direction where they're they're a capitalist communist country right so mm-hmm. They crack down on Jack Ma, but they also don't want to crush uh, enterprise, you know, mm-hmm. so they're they're like boosting it and uh, sort of like disciplining it at the same time. Mm-hmm. Um, it's like a slap on the wrist or a yeah. big slap on the wrist. But yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So from an investing perspective, uh, I just think there's opportunities like I don't think they're going around trying to strangle enterprises they're just kind of slapping them on the wrist okay there i think another part of it if you think like i try to theorize about what does their communism even mean and i think one way to think about chinese communism is they want the option Mm -hmm. to become fully communist sometime in the future and that means the leader the political leadership of china is always the boss Mm. so if you if you say, uh, you know, if I'm a CEO and I'm like, oh, I love capitalism and enterprise and this is so great. I'm making money mm-hmm. and I'm doing good. You know, the leadership will say that's nice. If you get up and make a speech and say the leadership is screwing this up, they're too communist. Mm-hmm. They have to smack you because hmm. they will always be the boss and they have the guns. Mm-hmm. And so they're, that's their attitude mm-hmm. It's like we're letting capitalism grow in a little greenhouse, mm-hmm. you know. But if you try to step out of line, we will smack you. We have to. 
mm-hmm. to prove that we're the boss. We have to maintain our place at the top. Hmm. You know, that's one way of viewing it. I'm not certain about all that, but that's one model that you can use. Hmm. That's really interesting. The, the reason why I asked that is because I became very intrigued by the potential of a, what a third term might mean. And so this is extremely hypothetical. Okay, so super, super hypothetical. But let's say that the worst case scenario happens. Xi Jinping runs for a third term. A world war breaks out because of the Ukraine-Russia war. China decides to do something. And then now a whole world war happens. What does that mean for stock investors, especially investors in China? And it really got me to start thinking, it's like, has this ever happened in the past before? Okay. And the closest thing that I could think of to start beginning that research is to look at what happened during Hitler's reign. Now, I'm not saying Xi Jinping is Hitler. Okay. By all means, I'm not saying anything like that. I'm (laughs) saying in the worst case scenario, if a Hitler was to arise again, what the hell happened to Germany's stock market? Because that's in essence, if that was to happen again here and Xi Jinping was to rise to power, what would happen to their stock market, China's stock market? So I'm trying to build that relationship. I'm trying to understand what has happened in the past because history doesn't really repeat itself, but it, it plays the same tune kind of thing, right? Well, that kind of means history is repeating itself. Whatever. <laughs> so... Mm-hmm. I, I started beginning my search, okay? And I'm going to share with you a a a screen really quickly, Sean, uh, on Zoom, because we are on Zoom and you, got, and you can see my screen. But just to take a look, this is a screen right here that shows Germany's CDAX index between 1930 and 1950, which is essentially when Hitler came to power and when Hitler kind of pushed it into World War II. And so uh, Germany CDAX is essentially all the stocks that were ex- being traded on Frankfurt's I- index exchange or stock exchange. And so it's their version of the New York Stock Exchange. All, all the index, uh, all these stocks being traded during that two, those two decades. And so, Sean, can you describe what you're seeing uh, really quickly? I have my own theories of what's happening, but I want to know what is it that you took away from this graph? Mm -hmm. The first thing I think of with this is the situation leading up to it Mm -hmm. is uh, the Weimar hyperinflation Mm -hmm. and a very economically difficult time. Uh, It was the Great Depression. Yes. You know, so they're struggling. Yep. Hitler comes to power and there's a lot of hope and positivity, you know, mm-hmm. there. Uh, I mean, you know, one of the things you got to remember about history is they didn't know what's going to happen. So yes. Hitler was not the guy who was going to try and take over Europe and try to do a mass genocide. He was the guy who was saying, uh, you know, I'm going to end this Great Depression thing and we're going to thrive. And everyone was like, yay, you know? Mm-hmm. So um, in the graph, we see sort of uh, the 
going into the early part of the Great Depression, the stock market is cratering and yes. tanking, and it's a disaster. Um, Hitler comes to power near the bottom, mm-hmm. and things start making their way up. Mm-hmm. And um, essentially, Hitler was good for business, you know? Yep. Um, and then, as it's interesting, so in 1938, 1939, mm-hmm. that's when Hitler starts making his moves. Mm-hmm. Um, in Europe and fighting, you know, like we're going to take over Czechoslovakia and Poland mm-hmm. and France. Mm-hmm. And um, th- you see the stock market having come back up uh, on, you know, positive hopes that Hitler mm-hmm. is going to make things better. It starts to st- go sideways and slightly down a little bit. And mm-hmm. the graph, you know, has some uh, captions and the caption there says worries that Hitler has gone too far right Mm -hmm. so he's you know like taking over france this is a i mean for hundreds of years france and germany have been fighting each other and so the markets are looking at it's like oh no now we have to do this again you know and this could be a huge disaster Mm -hmm. um but you know it seems to be working out okay then the markets go up and the caption says blitzkrieg euphoria Mm -hmm. um basically the attempts to take over Europe is going pretty well so far. Uh, and then it goes up even more. We've got the battle of Britain um, where basically Europe has been mostly taken over and it mostly looks like they're going to hold it. Um, but Britain is there and, you know, Britain is not like in any of this and they're somewhat powerful. So uh, Germany is bombarding them and leveling them. And that seems to be going pretty well for the Germans because they're just Britain's getting flattened. And at this point, Britain doesn't really have the power to stop them by themselves. And this is why Britain was begging, trying to get America into the war. Mm-hmm. Okay. So um, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to pause you really quickly. So, and what, what I really want is what is, because you have such a strong knowledge in world war two and my knowledge of world war two is okay. Okay. Mm-hmm. But I came to a certain conclusion and so I want to ask you, between the years of 1938, right when you know the chart says worries that Hitler has gone too far, all the way up to Stalingrad, mm-hmm. what is your opinion with the huge spike up in the stock market, in the German's CDAX index? I mean, it grew, you know, how many, I don't even know what the y-axis is. is it, I'm assuming it's percentages. It mm-hmm. grew like five six percent between those three years i mean it just went up um yeah there there is a saying that war is good for the stock market um you know the asterisk next to that is uh for the people who are winning right Mm -hmm. that's a saying that i hear kicked around in the united states because basically uh any of the violence that the united states has gotten involved in in the last you know or i should say you know in the nineties and two thousands, um, mm-hmm. it wasn't like we were going to lose and like get taken over by another country. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was all basically, it was good for business. It was good for defense contractors. Um, and so, yeah, the war and the fact that they were winning <clears throat> is basically why I'm seeing there's just a big euphoric explosion in the stock market. Like here, this Hitler guy came along. He said he was going to fix everything. Mm-hmm. and not only did he fix everything but now we're taking over europe and we're awesome and we're stoked and our 
businesses are thriving. Um, our factories are churning out, you know, airplanes and weapons at this amazing pace. Like, man, we are awesome. And this is going to be great. You know? But if, if we take a look at what a stock market is, is, you know, investors investing money into whatever exchange they want to invest in. So at the time, you know, German stock index or the German index was, I believe, fairly available to a global perspective, right? And correct mm-hmm. me if I'm wrong, but I believe it was open to the world. It was a global stock exchange and people were able to invest in Germany. And so as an investor, I'm looking at this and I'm like, wow, Germany is doing some crazy, crazy things, but their, their exchange is constantly growing. It's like a huge euphoric growth here. And if we take a look at, you know, the U.S. stock exchange during this time, it was actually cratering. It didn't grow until after uh, I think 1944 or during the era of 1940 and onwards. Uh, again, I, I I can't recall the graph off the top of my head, but I'm pretty sure uh, U.S. didn't start growing right away when Germany was growing. I mean, Germany began growing at 1932 and up uh, because of Hitler. And I I don't think U.S. had that kind of growth back then. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, th- it, that makes me think of two things. Like there's... Okay. Um, is so number one is the is the government intervening in a way that's boosting economic growth mm-hmm. uh that was probably one thing that was going on in germany and not probably. going on in the u.s yes and then the second thing is does the future hold great things right and if mm-hmm. germany like wins this whole war mm-hmm. then yeah the future holds great things so that's kind of those are the but, two things that come to mind. But were you thinking of something else? But it, yeah, and and the, the the idea was I'm trying to understand as a global investor because I I, I invest in you know many different types of you know countries and um and foreign companies, right? Mm-hmm. My question is, well, if I know that you know, I'm hearing this all over the news and and let's just, let's just step back in time. Let's say that we are in the middle of 1941 right now, you Mm -hmm. know, Germany just started doing blitzkrieg. We're hearing it on the radio. We're hearing it on the news. And let's imagine they had internet back then because that's what we're used to. And all over the media, we're, we're seeing Hitler's, you know, doing blitzkrieg, destroying, you know, Europe, yada, yada, yada. Who in their right mind would invest into Germany at that point? I mean, as an international investor, like, yeah, it's growing. And the chart says it's growing. And to me, that means that there are people who are pouring money into the German stock exchange during this Mm -hmm. time. And so a lot of people are going to be emotional about this, right? And it's not something that makes sense especially if the rest of the world is seeing this as a bad thing but germany's economy is still growing if we just look like a decade prior to that their inflation was skyrocketing like you can build you know uh brick homes out of the money found on the street i mean that that's how bad their inflation was if memory serves me correctly Mm -hmm. and so they had nothing germany had nothing so the argument that Germans, you know, during this time invested in their own country and produced their own thing. I mean, if you look at Germans' natural resources, it's not that many. And so I, I can't see this being solely Germany investing in themselves, right? Right. Yeah, there's definitely 
I'm probably some American money. Yeah. Um, so yeah. At least that's my understanding. And now, paralleling it to what China's doing, okay, we're, we're looking at Xi Jinping. We find that he's running for a third term. It could be the point of where he's kind of gone too far. Now, he hasn't really done anything as drastic as Hitler, although that's very argumentative. But it is something that we're all pretty much in a consensus like, hey, you kind of broke the rules. You're in the third term now. That That's pushing it. That's really pushing it now, right? And my question is, will the stock market during World War II era with the rise of Hitler, will that be reflected in China? I know the circumstances are different, but based on what we just talked about like in this last hour, it kind of seems like we're pretty bullish, at least in terms of if Xi Jinping really wants to build a good reputation, a good legacy, maybe run for a fourth term, yada, yada, yada. He has to do something where it matches this graph very similarly. Not, not the 1948 and onwards where it totally collapses, but it has to match in terms of growth, in terms of global business growth. So do you think, and again, because you know history more than I do, do you think that this could be an outcome that we can parallel to that during Hitler's era? Hmm. I think there are similarities and differences. Of course. Um, so I think there was, there's been talk from Xi Jinping that essentially they're, they have a plan to double China's economy by 2035. Okay. I don't know if he stated that explicitly at this meeting, but I think that's something he stated within the last uh, few years. Okay. So that's pretty dang ambitious. Um, on top of that, you know, if you look at the stock market, like I think one of the reason America's stock market is doing so great is not just because of a lot of production and consumption within the United States, but also because uh, America is globally, we have a lot of global corporations that are making money elsewhere. Mm -hmm. And I see China doing more of that over the next 10 to 15 years, right? Making more money in other countries in Southeast Asia, making more money in Africa and Central Asia, um, you know, cashing in on the, um, the Belt and Road Initiative and starting to have more international chinese corporations i mean huawei right we're having there's this big tech split going on where there's you know america does not want to feed china's tech machine there will be a lot of countries that are just like yeah we want huawei to sell us phones and uh 5g equipment you know sell us all kinds of that stuff mm -hmm. and they'll just be buying it up and using it and so um in that sense yeah if you see China doing well and seeing its strategies working out over the next 10 or 15 years, then that is definitely uh, something to cash in on. Hmm. Um, and it's something that international investors might want to be looking at. Um, you know, there's, there's plenty of differences that you can find because history is different, you know, like, um, I mean, a big thing that was going on, I think in, Hitler's time is that this 
in some ways I've been sort of actually changing my view of World War II a little bit recently in terms Ooh. of maybe the central because you know being raised in the United States uh, we get taught like oh yeah there was World War II and we defeated the Germans and we defeated Japanese okay. and World War II so Americans oftentimes in our minds there was like two wars happening in World War II Mm-hmm. And in a way, there was actually three hmm. world wars happening in World War II. And the in, in a lot of ways, the central war of World War II was the one that we weren't involved in. And it was Germany versus the Soviet Union. Mm-hmm. And it was gigantic. It was all like the border between Asia and Europe was a giant line of battle. Mm-hmm. And tens of millions of people died and um just tons of gigantic wars sieges stalingrad i think stalingrad was like the biggest battle in history in terms of people mm-hmm. um i know the largest tank battle in history happened in uh the battle of kursk mm-hmm. um and i mean so if you think about the nazi ideology right they were hung up on the jews but they were also hung up on the communists, the Soviets. And they believed, I think Hitler's Mein Kampf says that they were one in the same, that the Soviet leadership in Moscow is a part of the evil Jewish plot to do evil or whatever. Mm. And so a lot of what happened in World War II was a giant clash of communists versus people who hate communists. Mm-hmm. And so... And there was plenty of people in the United States who hated communists. And um, this is also one of the things I was thinking about. This is because of the Ukraine war. And, you know, there's Nazis in Ukraine and people are really weirded out, like by the whole Nazis in Ukraine thing. And they're like, well, wait a minute. They have uh, a Jewish president. How can they be Nazis if they have a Jewish president? And I heard someone explain it on a podcast that makes made it make a ton of sense. Hmm. The Ukrainians were had been genocided by the Soviets. Hmm. The Ukrainians had been just, you know, there had been famines and genocide in Ukraine because of the decisions coming from Moscow. Hmm. And then here comes Hitler and the Nazis saying, those people in Moscow were evil. We're going after them. And the Ukrainians are like, yes, Hmm. we were totally down for this. We're on board a hundred percent, you know, Mm-hmm. But they don't. They didn't care about Jews. Their problem was the Soviets in Moscow, hmm. um, and that lasts pretty much until this day. That they, the reason they have this kind of Nazi thing going on in Ukraine, and simultaneously they don't seem to have a lot of hatred for Jews. It's because they have this thing against Moscow, and they see Putin as a continuation of that whole Soviet thing. Hmm. Um, and so, anyways, where was I going with that? There, that there's this sort of. Um, communism versus anti-communism thing that was sort of almost in some ways the central war of world war ii and so there were plenty of americans who were pro hitler or the nazis and for these reasons you know Mm. and so there was definitely some disagreement about us getting involved against the nazis um and so a lot of investors saw this as like this is business versus anti-business right Mm -hmm. And uh, really happy to pour their money into the German machine, you know? 
So I think that was kind of a unique hmm. situation that, uh, is it analogous to the Chinese thing? Well, maybe there's something. I mean, probably not. You know? Again, it's this. This is what I see as the worst case scenario if we're comparing it to Hitler's reign, right? Right. Because Hitler's reign is like super, super bad. At least, uh, you know, in comparison to what China's doing right now, it's like really like extreme, right? Mm-hmm. And so that is the worst case scenario that could happen. If China followed those footsteps, and it still looks like the economy, in in both cases, would be rising within the next five years or so. Mm-hmm. It might it might crater in the next fifteen years, but within the short span of five to ten years, it looks like it's going to go up based on history's facts. And this is just one one small event that's happened in the last you know you know uh 100 years right there's mm-hmm. multiple wars that has happened in the last 100 years I, we just have to look up the data for that and see if you know when a uh extremist comes into power again what happens and i'm not saying i i, I don't know if we could classify xi jinping as an extremist at this point mm-hmm. yet but you know like i said yeah. this is like worst case scenario kind of kind of hypothetical prediction yeah i'm thinking um I think there's an important difference. Well, we'll maybe it's not a difference. We'll, I'll come, I'll come around at the end. But okay, <laughs> the uh, I actually had uh, a go lesson recently, oh. and something that I discussed with the teacher was about um, as your game is progressing, mm-hmm. you want to understand whether you're doing well or not, so that you can understand how much you want to disrupt the situation. Mm-hmm. Um, if you're doing well, then you may want things to continue smoothly. If you're having a rough time, you may not want to disrupt so much. Mm-hmm. And I think, I bet if you asked Xi Jinping about Hitler, he would say, um, you know, he was doing great. And then he just disrupted everything too much. He got super greedy. And, um, you know, he could have held most or all of Europe if he had stopped Mm -hmm. and he didn't. And so I think my point being, it seems like Xi Jinping probably is not going to do anything even remotely as disruptive as what Hitler did. Uh, The most disruptive thing Xi Jinping has a chance of doing is invading Taiwan, which could be really dang disruptive, but I don't think it's going to turn into, you know, I was talking to a guy the other day who said, oh yeah, China's going to go, First, they're going to take Taiwan, then they're going for Japan, and they're going for South Korea, you know, and it's like, hmm, yeah, boy, no. I don't know, man. You know, <laughs> that's, that's, like, that's pushing it. That's pushing it. That's really they, pushing it. Yeah. I don't think, first off, they would lose if they did that, I think. Yeah, no. Um, and also, like, I don't, that's just dumb. That's just like, that's a, that's a overdoing the, maybe they were thinking about Hitler, you know, and maybe they were taking maybe. it too far. I think, you know, I think if my point being um, China would probably want to limit the amount of disruption because they're doing well. And I think the attitude is at this point with our level of power, we deserve to have Taiwan and we deserve not to be completely surrounded by things that are uh, under the control of the United States where our entire coast is locked in from a naval perspective mm-hmm. and uh, our economic our economy is 
equal to yours for, from an overall GDP perspective. Mm-hmm. We deserve uh, Taiwan, right? Mm-hmm. And so we're not just going to sit here and not take it, right? Mm. But they don't, they're not looking to disrupt the whole world. They're not looking to take over Asia. I think they're just looking to say, to sort of increment, hmm. right? Um, so, so the fact that it's not going to be that disruptive, yeah, well, I think so. That that goes to the Hitler comparison. If Hitler was way more disruptive, mm-hmm. and in fact, you can see that in the chart where <laughs> I mean, he, uh, you know, the stock market goes up and up and up. Mm-hmm. Then it flatlines, right? You have the mm-hmm. Battle of Songgrad, you have, uh, and then you have Germany losing. And then mm-hmm. at the end of the graph, it just goes all the way down, straight yep. down to the bottom. Yep. And Germany is like dead, right? Yep. And so that's that's losing. <laughs> mm-hmm. I think China is saying we've we want to keep what we've got and get a little more. Mm-hmm. And a good distinction, and and this is just. Uh, no offense, Sean, but mm-hmm. you said that in terms of China's perspective, that um, if they were to take Taiwan, you said something along the lines of, you know, they deserve Taiwan, right? Yeah, deserve wasn't the right word, but there's yeah. a kind of entitlement there. <laughs> yeah, it's not, I, I, especially if you're trying to understand China. And I, and I think this goes for the ideology of reunifying what was once China whole again. Mm-hmm. I think that it's more so not deserving, but uh, taking back uh, rather than deserving or or be like, you know, bring our territory back into the fold of China. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's a, a big distinction uh, in, in terms of their philosophical uh, philosophical reasons for going with Taiwan. And the reason why they won't go for Japan because Japan was never really part of China. Mm-hmm. Um, it might have been a territory, but it's I, I don't think it was a part of China itself, like Taiwan was back in the hey 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 day, right? Mm-hmm. And so, for China to go out of their way to attack another naval territory, island territory, and spend that much resources just to take it over, that's I feel like that's a little too far-fetched for the time being. And just like with the game of Go, you don't need to go at everything all at once. You can be very methodical, very slow in the approach of capturing said territory, but you don't need to do it right away. And there's many ways to capture a territory and bring it under your control rather than physically brute force, take it all. And now here's the Chinese flag, right? Mm-hmm. So there's there's many, many different types of tactics. And and the one that I see them doing is spreading out all of branches and really building that influences uh, throughout the South Asian sector or in Southeast Asian Asian sector, uh, you know, and, and painting themselves as being the good uh, character, the good guy helping you know, fellow neighboring Asian countries out kind of thing. And so mm-hmm. I think that's more of their approach. I don't think they're very forward and and blunt if they were to capture a territory. Just my opinion, though. Mm-hmm. So, yep. 
Anyways, any last minute comments, uh, Sean, last uh, remarks or anything about all that we've talked about today? Uh, no, I think we've uh, covered a lot. I think it's been good. I think it's been great, too. So, everyone, thank you so much for watching all the way up to this part. I mean, we're, we're having a blast talking about this. We're really enjoying what's unfolding in front of us. And being an investor, uh, Sean and myself, the, the, these are interesting times and it's a scary time uh, especially you know with the whole volatility but it is interesting so if you like more of this content please let us know in the uh, chat box comment box etc give us a follow give us a subscribe if you do like this content so that we can build more and make more of this uh, other than that Sean everyone don't trade a dollar for a penny and we will see you guys in the next recording. Take care, everyone.